Many of us have been rocked by the death of two godly women that both passed away recently on the same day. Caroline and Jean. We knew it was coming, but it's still a huge loss. And as we prepare for their funerals, there's a few similarities that have really stood out to me that I want to just share with you real quick here, okay? First is that both Caroline and Jean want, don't want their funerals to be funerals. They want them to be celebrations, right? That was the first thing that's come out really clearly with both of them. Another thing that's come out really clearly for both of them is that they don't want the focus so much to be on themselves, but they want it to be on Jesus. I love that. With both of them, those themes have come out really strongly. And, and you know what? It's because they got it. Right? I mean, they, like, do you get it? They got it. I want you to be so aware of what Jesus has done for you that you are propelled to share it with others, that you know the love and forgiveness that, you, that you've received, to know what he did for you on the cross, so that you have this deep drive to share Christ with others, a drive like what we see with Paul, but like as well what we, what we saw with Jean and with Caroline. Um, I want this for us. And so today, when we look at Paul and the Areopagus, this is a beautiful passage with loads that we can learn from it. What I want to take you into is, is simple, but hopefully good. And what I want to take you into right now is, first of all, when we see him challenging the Areopagus, which I'll come back to, we see this beautiful combination of encouragement and challenge at the same time. And what often happens is people get one without the other, right? And so I've, the worst example I've ever seen of like someone understanding challenge but not understanding encouragement um, was this guy in Minnesota who would, they basically, the teenagers would all hang out in this particular area. They would park their cars and they would hang out and it's a nice, you know, Friday night sort of thing. And he was clearly distressed by this. And so he would go and share his faith with them by going along and telling them all that they were going to hell, right? Like proper, and I was kind of like, I heard about this guy and I thought, why, why, <laughs> why? Um, and so um, I, I found out why. And his belief was that if people weren't challenged with the reality of hell, that they wouldn't be woken up to their need for salvation. Now, part of what he's saying is true, and people do need to be challenged, and yet challenge without encouragement can be toxic, right? And then on the other side of things, there can be a lot of, and I think a lot of us will fall into this, and I could even fall into this, where we've got encouragement but no challenge. And we're like, you know, we're all, fine, we're all nervous to say, you know, to say to someone, like, God loves you, and then run away, right? Like, Whoo, I survived, <laughs> right? As if, as if anyone's going to be that offended. You know, like, I'm praying for you. Whoo, I survived, you know? Like, um, it's like, and, and yet there needs to be this balance of encouragement and challenge. And that's what we see here with Paul. And so let me take you into encouragement first and then challenge. So check this out with encouragement. We, we notice with our passage, first of all, at the very beginning, verse 16, it says that he was greatly distressed. And I wonder, just if we pause on that for a moment, 
Do you ever look out on society and see things where you are greatly distressed? I imagine you do, right? Uh, John Mark Comer has just come out with a new book called Live No Lies. I recommend it. But there are loads of times in that book where it causes me, where he's looking out on culture and saying things, and it causes me to be greatly distressed. And so whereas we might not be concerned about idols, as Paul was, there are loads of things that we might look out on and be greatly distressed. Times where we go, where like him, Athens feels like a foreign place. Where the need is too great, where the issues are too big. And for many of us, we can remember issues that seemed too big in the past that now have sort of faded, right? And you could make a list of these sorts of issues. Things like postmodernism. It felt like at the time that was going to change the world. And it has had an impact, but it's not as massive as we thought it would be. Or militant atheism, you know, or like, you know, there's different things in the past. And we could come up with a list of things we might be distressed about today. Can I say, regardless of the issues of the time, God still reigns, and he is not defeated by any individual issue, okay? And so the list we might come up today, I mean, we could come up with all sorts of things. It might, you might worry about the eroding moral fabric around sexuality, or the influence of technology, or creation being mistreated, or globalization leading to a tolerance of every possible view. You know, you might have your own things that you get distressed about. This world is broken. And what I love here is that I see that Paul was greatly distressed, and yet when he comes to people and shares with the, with the Areopagus, he hasn't lost a sense of grace and generosity. Again, people often, when they're distressed, their response is to become hostile. It's sort of fight or flight, right? He's in front of people that it's, it's, it's a scary situation. And yet, there's loads of times what he says, there's just generosity and grace. He says in verse 22, in every, I see in every way that you are very religious, right? What a positive comment. Verse 23, he refers to an altar to an unknown God. He's commending something that's written on an altar that would be used for worship. Right? Verse 23, he says they're ignorant of the very thing they worship. But again, he's acknowledging that they're worshiping God without completely knowing him. He's seeing the good, the ways that God is already at work in, this, in, in these people. He says in verse 27... That, that God wants essentially for them to seek him because God is near. Verse 27, he is not far from any one of us. What an encouraging thing to say. Verse 28, as your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And so there's this wonderfully encouraging message that Paul is bringing here where he's saying to them, look, you are made and known by God. You seek God. Let me tell you more about him. Like, what a generous way to speak. And yet, at the same time, what we see here is, as well is we see challenge. Now remember, again, he was greatly distressed. And so, we see challenge in that with these, he's greatly distressed because the city was full of idols. Now, you could ask the question, why would he be so worked up about idols? 
right? And a similar question could be asked about God in the Old Testament because God was worked up about idols. And there's lots of answers you could give to this. Um, one might be that they misrepresent God. Second, a second thing might be that it satisf satisfies someone's hunger for God with gods that are not gods at all, right? But this is serious. And so Paul doesn't just avoid this important topic. He doesn't just pretend it isn't there. Notice he challenges them. Essentially what he does is he invites them to a bigger view of God that make idols ridiculous. So he says in verse 24 that God does not live in temples. Verse 25, he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, God is bigger. He gives life and breath and everything else. I love the way that it's put in verse 29, where like, he goes, your own po poets have said we are his offspring, right? So like, God, the God who created you, he's like your father. That's how close he is. We are his offspring. And yet, if we're his offspring, how can he be represented by something you make with your own hands? See, verse 29, God is not like gold or silver or stone. And so what Paul does is he lays out a proper understanding of God to challenge where they are. And he goes further to say that realizing how powerful and amazing God is, it means, it follows on to say that God who is properly powerful commands people to repent and has set a day when people will be judged. He's not holding back from the truth. Lots of encouragement, lots of challenge, all in the same passage. So the first thing I'd want to get you to think about for yourself is which side of that comes most easily to you? Because it's probably pretty easy to identify, but then what is also then easy to identify is maybe where you need to develop, right? And so if you're naturally encouraging, you might also need to think, how can I challenge people? If you're naturally challenging, you might think, how can I encourage people? And if underneath all of this, there's something in yourself that you notice is flawed, bring it to God, okay? So that's the first thing I want you to see. The second thing I want you to see, and this, and, and, and this is the kind of um, where I'll land as well, but there's, and this is big picture over this whole situation here, and that's that there is no situation that God can't equip you for and use you. There's no situation that God can't equip you for and use you. You will have situations where you are out of your depth where you are helping someone who is in a pastoral crisis and you don't know what to say. Where you're helping someone that you're sure is smarter than you are, you know? When you're, you know, there are all sorts of situations where you might feel out of your depth. There is no situation that God cannot equip you for and use you. Paul was a legend, but this must have been terrifying, right? In verse 18, we find that there's a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers debating with him. Um, the Epicureans were focused on pleasure and anything that would give you pleasure. There you go, William. Yeah, you have heard that? Um, the, the Stoics um, were focused on a, a resolve of will that meant you could face anything. These guys have some different thinking. Sometimes it overlaps, but different um, philo philosophical ways of thinking. And yet, that's just representing part of the audience. And they've invited him to speak in front of the Areopagus. 
this would be scary. This is a big deal. Like, I don't know if you've ever been in a situation that makes you go, God, help me, because I can't do this on my own. Because actually, when you're in that place, it's a very good place to be. I believe the Spirit blesses it. I believe in that moment when you go, God, help me, because I can't do this on my own, often what happens is the Spirit gives us words and ways to help that we didn't imagine were possible. And I want that for you. I want you to get to the place where you can't do it on your own. Where you have to depend on God because then you'll realize that God is there. All right? When I was thinking about what Paul was facing here at the Areopagus, I was trying to think, when, when have I faced anything similar? And there was once back when we were in Chalfont, St. Peter, Chalfont Community College, there was a girl in sixth form studying philosophy, and she was being tortured by the rest of this class for her Christianity, right? Like she was super outgoing. Um, I saw her in that class, and she was a sh like, sh like she had just been tortured by this group because she was constantly being referred to as the Christian. And so toward the end of the year, she did something that's a little bit scary to me in that she asked her teacher if someone could come and, and represent Christianity and answer everybody's questions and asked if I would be that person, <laughs> right? And so I agreed and I go into this group and it's like 20 or 30 people, they've been studying philosophy all year, now they get to test their stuff out on me, right? And. And I could sense just God at work in that situation. And I, I loved it. I really enjoyed it. We had 50 minutes of them peppering me with their biggest questions. And then at the end of that 50 minutes, the teacher announced, this whole class has a free period next period. Um, would you be willing to, to stick around for another 50 minutes? And anybody who wants to stay, they can stay. And nearly every one of them stayed for another 50 minutes, and we just kept going. And you know what? At the end of Paul's situation here with the Areopagus, notice how people responded. Some people responded by saying, but, uh, by saying that they were, um, oh, sorry, what does it say? It's quite aggressive. Some sneered. Some sneered, it says. That some other people, it says, wanted to hear more. And some became followers. When you step out, when you're in that situation, when God is helping you, doesn't necessarily mean that people are all going to respond. Like in Acts, you expect every story to end with everyone became Christians. Boom. Right here, I love that. That's not what happened. There are times when God will help you, but it's still down to that person as to how they respond. And so some sneered, some wanted to hear more, some became followers of Jesus. And so with that philosophy class, I'm sure some went away sneering <laughs> and didn't like me. And I'm sure, I hope that some wanted to hear more. And I would even pray that some became Christian eventually. And so, what about you? Right? We have a world that needs to know about God's love, 
about the God that, that Paul proclaims here, who is not weak, who is not far. They need to know about the love that's available there. And for us, we need to proclaim the goodness and greatness of our God. But that also means we need to be willing to say, like Paul, sometimes that people need to repent. That's a hard word, right? We need a proper balance of challenge and encouragement and being willing to step out, being willing to open our mouths because there's no situation that God can't equip you for and use you. And if the situations you face are too comfortable, actually it's probably because God's got more for you yet. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us with this. Thank you for Paul's example and the challenge that it can bring to us. Father, I pray for some of us, perhaps, that don't yet know your love in such a way that it's rocked our worlds. So I pray that you would, for those of us that are in that place, that you would meet them where they are, that you would show yourself in a way that would be exciting. But for many of us, we've discovered your love, and it's more comfortable to stay quiet. And I pray that you would help us to open our mouths. Pray that you would help us to know the right balance of encouragement and challenge. Help us to be used by you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.